0: We can tap into the intelligence and wisdoms of the trees, of the birds, of the insects, of the soil itself. So there's all of that intelligence and wisdoms there, but we have reduced our humanity, this very small box.
1: You're listening to Catalyst Talks, conversations with change agents, outliers, superheroes, and truly conscious leaders modeling what it is to be an unstoppable force for good and truth in this world. What lit these catalysts on fire to do their work and what nuggets of wisdom can they share with a world literally on fire? I'm your host, Stephanie Traeger. I'm a transformational catalyst and life coach to Maverick change agents in business leadership and life. On this podcast, I wear an eclectic mix of hats, including earthkeeper, wayfinder, truth teller, coach, lawyer, business and impact strategist. My intention is holding space for higher purpose, peak wellness, soul mastery, and deeper impact so we can live in harmony with ourselves, each other, and nature. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. If you love it, please share and spread the word. We're on YouTube and all the podcast platforms. See the show notes on CatalystTalks.com for links and enjoy this episode. Before we drop into this uninterrupted episode, I would love to invite you to join me for a free workshop I'll be hosting on October 26th. There will be a replay if you can't make it live. It is very much centered around the depths of what we cover in this conversation around future human potentials. It is called Liberation, Owning Your Power as a Creator. This can be found at workshopwithstephanie.com and you can find the links in the show notes. I'm also deeply humbled and excited to announce the launch of our first Evolve Mastery Circle, Called Higher Purpose. And this will be kicking off in January and it is open for enrollment now. And we're so excited. These Evolve Mastery Circles, what are they? They are shorter programs that were born out of the Evolve program. The Evolve program is a 12-month bespoke private experience. And I also run this as a small group council experience where we dive deep into each of four pillars. And the four pillars include soul mastery, higher purpose, peak wellness, and deeper impact in business leadership and life. So to make this exquisite, rich modality available to everybody, the Evolve Mastery Circles were born. And these circles are shorter group experiences where we'll dive deep into one of the four pillars. I welcome you to join me in your journey of evolution through one or more of these pillars, starting with higher purpose. So if you're curious or interested to learn more, you'll find the show notes, uh, the link in the show notes as well. And you can also go to stephanietrager.com, and you will be guided to where that link is to learn more about the Evolve Mastery Circle. So thank you so much again for your attention and now enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Catalyst Talks podcast. I am so excited you are here, and welcome to all of our new listeners, and welcome back. Old listeners, if you enjoy these shows, please rate them, comment, share the episodes with your family, friends, and networks. It's so helpful to get the word out about some of the most amazing content and some of the most amazing guests that I have here on Catalyst Talks, including today. Today, I am joined by Dr. Anna-Louise Smitman, who is a futurist evolutionary system scientist, coach, healer, and award-winning best-selling author. She is the founder and CEO of Earthwise Center and based in Mauritius. She's been awarded many honors, holds a master's degree in law and judicial political science, and a doctorate from the Maastricht Sustainability Institute in the Netherlands. Her PhD dissertation, Into the Heart of Systems Change, is being implemented worldwide for systemic transformation in economics, education, politics, and governance through her proposed transition plan for a thrivable civilization. Anna Luz is the co-author with Dr. Jean Houston of the Future Humans Trilogy, which includes The Quest of Rose, as well as Return of the Avatars. She is the co-host with Dr. Jean Houston of the Future Humans Podcast, co-editor and co-author with Dr. Alexander Laszlo of The New Paradigm in Politics, and she is the author of Love Letters from Mother Earth, as well as numerous other publications and media offerings you can find Anna Full bio in the show notes with links to her work and links to things that we mentioned in this episode. And this episode is beyond what I can even, what I even thought it was going to be, beyond where I thought it would go. Anna Luz is a rare breed of awake, cosmic, indigenous, scientific, intellectual, and super heart centered who has the language to articulate what some of us feel like we just know. Yet her work is intricate, deep, complex, and explains so much of what is needed for humanity's next evolution in our personal lives. From a systems lens to organizational potentials to the economics and political systems. Her work centers around living systems. I would love to hear your thoughts and comments and feedback on this episode. Please share it as much as you can. It is so important for so many reasons that this episode gets out there, including to plant the seeds, plant imaginal cells that we need to plant for our garden of evolutionary possibility to grow. Welcome, Anna Luz. I'm excited to explore the edges of reality, of linear reality, and our human evolution. And translated, that would be inner freedom and higher potentials. I'm excited to learn about you, your curiosities, passions, and purpose, and all of the exquisite courses, books, and conversations that you put into circulation. Where did they come from? I'm really excited to learn this and share this with our listeners. You have an extensive education and research background with many contributions, and we have a lot in common with our work and our worldview and some friends which is why we are here together today. So my listeners, I want you to get ready for a really mind-blowing conversation with this beautiful human, a futurist, and evolutionary system scientist, among other things, an author and prolific writer and creator. So let's just start with where you are today, like where you are in place and what you're surrounded by at the moment. And what is your growth edge in your research, your learnings, or in your experience on your own evolutionary path right now? Thank you
0: so much. What a, wow. <laughs> what a great question. And thank you for doing this and bringing us here in conversations, conversations that really matter for this time. So, yes, I am calling from Mauritius, which is a small island in the middle of the Indian Ocean, um, close to Madagascar. So that that just presents it. For us, this is late spring. Uh, you are in the northern hemisphere, so it's it's nice to feel that energy on being on the other side of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And um, surrounded with some beautiful nature, you may even hear sometimes the waves crashing. The ocean is the lagoon is quite close here to me, and uh, it's getting night, so we also may hear some sounds of the bats. We have huge bats that are flying over. Which always remind me of the power of rebirth, because I think that's so beautiful how the the bats and uh, they will have to hang upside down uh, every night mm. as they rest. But that's also the rebirth position, and I think that's what nature and life is asking of us to do right now is to take that position of the bat <laughs> and mm. to go head down, um, because we've been putting the world upside down. So perhaps if if we ourselves are humble enough to bend our heads uh, and allow things to be turned, the great turning, the great turning point. Then we may finally see our way through all of those challenges. So you're asking where kind of my growth edges is uh, right now. Um, it's how to get many of the stories of, of so many amazing people in your work as well. We've all been working and pioneering these new ways and and bringing in the embodiment of this new future consciousness, bringing that into the mainstream. That's kind of my edge. I've started with some initiatives on how do we engage the media, for example, in that? What are the narratives? How do we translate this from some of these breakthrough new scientific understandings about worlds and reality into ways that people can work with and that it's meaningful for them? How to apply this also in the design of whole new systems? So it's the it's the sheer amount for me of of all of that because um, I don't work in a linear way. It's like in my in my day itself, there may be a few hours where I'm working on new constitutions, then I may be working on new economic systems, then working with new policies, then I'm working it what's the artistic expression of that, then maybe time and I'm sitting in meditation, deep listening, and how does this all come together? Then feeling in my body where does that live. So that just gives you a a little glimpse of my day. And so it's how to hold all that complexity and allow it to, to take its shape, its forms, so that it can build a bridge now in this time where many things are falling away and old structures are crumbling. I feel so important that the bridges from, from these future worlds of these greater possibilities of what we are called to become, that those bridges reach... Enough people at this critical time so that people don't feel like everything is getting lost, you know, everything is being shaken up. That is so well
1: articulated. Wow. Yeah. Holding the complexity and what a beautiful expression of where we are today in humanity. Thank you for sharing that glimpse into your life and your day. When did it all start? I'm really curious to know what your waking moment was. You know, did you, when you, were you born with it, the mem- with the, let's just say the membranes, or were you, did you remember at a later date and come into an awakening
0: and a reconnection with, with earth? I cannot remember not, not ever feeling that connection. So that's probably very much born with it, born with a very strong intuition. And that it was when I was one year old, I couldn't uh, just learn to walk, but I couldn't talk. Um I then realized that it wasn't obvious for a lot of people around me. So I remember standing in the kitchen with my parents and seeing how they were in a, in a discussion and not hearing each other, talking over each other's head. And I was just really under, literally under, under their voices and looking up like, but they're not hearing each other's thoughts. What's going on? <laughs> Don't they do direct communication? <laughs> Why this complicated language, Dutch? and am I supposed to learn that too so uh, that was probably when I realized that this direct connection direct communication which for me uh, is something I just yeah it's my natural reality wasn't obvious for everyone around me and I remember making a decision as little as I was then, that I would never ever let that go no matter what happens I would never ever yeah that would be what I would guard the most is because if I can't hear life inside me and have a way to connect in, um, then then you get so lost. We all we it's so similar the
1: connection the. Remembering when we were a baby and seeing like, what are they doing (laughs) that remember it? So I love that. I love that tribe, finding our tribe and finding people who really, um, I think this is such an important piece right now is like finding people who there's so many layers and and levels of consciousness and just trusting in the knowing right now that finding your people who really can speak that language with the same yes. connection point is so important yeah agree
0: with you yes Mm -hmm. yes
1: so tell me about, about your journey. Like you were, okay, that was when you were one, <laughs> but when did you, and, and then you had mentioned earlier or, or before we came on mm-hmm. that you worked in climate and where you worked in sustainability and realized, wait, what's going on. So you are, have a PhD and uh, like a lot of education and an in, uh, in LLM. We have, I'm a lawyer also That's by right. background. Yes. We have a different exactly. for it, but yeah. So you have this massive training. Tell us a little bit about your journey.
0: <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. So oh, there's so many elements there to share. Maybe uh, after my in the last year my law school, I I went to South Africa. I was 21 then because I wanted to study the making of a new democracy and not get killed. <laughs> so I thought, what what's a safe place uh, where? Because in Europe, it's quite safe to express yourself, yeah? mm-hmm. uh, or at least in the Netherlands, everyone could have an opinion. You don't go to jail. So I thought, what do I know about democracy really? Um, Let's go somewhere where that's not obvious, but people have really had to fight for that in, in this lifetime. So I went to South Africa, uh, apartheid had just finished, and that shook my world very heavily because I was confronted with so much violence and so much brutality. Eventually had to even flee myself because I came too closely involved in a murder case that happened on, on campus. Um, so it was a hard moment, you, you know, you're young and on the one hand you see this incredible violence of people uh, that doesn't seem to have any limits and at the same time you see the, the love and the compassion, you know, um, I made a lot of beautiful friends and for people that were living in the townships and felt very deep connection um, with some of the, the young students there were struggling with on the one hand, having been brought up with this indigenous worldview and a world of magic. It was natural for them. One of my, my friends from the township, he was explaining that you know they, he had to always put his bat a bit above the floor because, Otherwise, the spirit yeah, uh, may grab you. So there were little things like that. So the first time he had to take an elevator, he felt scared of that. And so the integration of this magical world from which he was coming, and then coming in this very cold Western, because we don't both to do law, Western world of facts and factuality and reductionism. And um, so after that, I went to Australia to do a, a PhD on institutionalizing the future based on indigenous wisdom. This mm. was now in the 98 uh, and did it for two years. Uh, wanted to combine uh, quantum physics, uh, evolutionary biology, political science, <laughs> philosophy, time and law. And um, they told me focus on one thing. I said, but the questions are so big. I, I, I can't, I can't separate it. I want, I have an interest in all of it and I need to somehow find a way to integrate it all. And they said, no, no, you just focus on one thing. So I just stopped that after two years. And then I spent uh, seven years, I made time uh, for my own transformation, going into the bush, um, being with the animals, listening to the stories of the land, and making space within myself for going through my own rites of passage. And then I, f- I felt that that rooted me to an earlier part of our humanity, um, the original custodians of the dreaming that brought me back into that dreaming of who we were as a humanity when we were still one continent and and experiencing almost from all the way back into time from coming this from this, this one humanity, one continent, and the continents breaking apart and becoming all these different continents that we have today, but also all the different cultures and all the different diversity. And so, I by going back to that moment with the the rainbow serpent going through this whole rise of passage, just like making a new choice in my own humanity about not splintering off from those early points of origin, remembering the dreaming of who we are called to become and how we've had this time where it seems like every culture had to develop its own medicine, but now is the time to remember and to come back to the sacred hope of life. So it's not about becoming more complex, more diversified. No, if in each of us in our own cultures, ways, families, we have been kind of an, in an evolutionary lab. But now you won't know what the meaning of that piece is until mm-hmm. you bring it back to the whole, until you meet each other like we are meeting each other here now. And we feel no wonder as if we are ancient sisters. <laughs> so it's so natural. <laughs> and, and then there's also the, the you know, the, the remeeting here in, in this time. And yeah, so all of that really is been part of my journey. I then went to, to go to Mauritius uh, where I became a mom of, uh, of two children and then started to work here also with uh, schools to, to bring that, that wisdom of life wisdom of living systems, also here into the educational systems, Start to work also with companies to help them in their transformational potential. And then found my way back again to work really internationally as as I'm doing now, as I'm doing to Eyes, and bringing a lot of this forth into into books of, you know, who are we as future humans of this emerging new era? So that is a lot of all the courses, all the work now is, Really from that understanding that in each and every one of us lives already that future potential of our evolutionary next step. And so rather than reaching into that next step by going through breakdown, mm-hmm. by letting everything collapse, what a lot of people feel is like when they think of the future, they feel that it's just having to go so much worse before it goes better. That have are working with and and hearing from kind of the land, the wisdom. Um, the elders, is that, no, this this huge potential of our next step, it is already inside us, and we can work for that right now, right here today. And then it's like you're already working from this future world that uh, that we can become, and that I feel is what what will come, also after the great change that I'm experiencing it here now today
1: we're going to go into each of these P there's a lot in there. And so we're, that's all coming in the next few, um, moments, but I want to ask you something about, you know, just the piece about our own indigenous come from. So you are indigenous, a woman of Europe. Talk to me about that. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Exactly. For me, I really feel we are all indigenous to this earth. You know, we, we are all children of Mother Earth. The only thing that's not indigenous for some people is if if they perceive the world very mechanistically. So your body is still indigenous. <laughs> it's, you, you don't have an artificial body, you know, <laughs> we're not robots. So we all of our bodies here yeah, are indigenous, but our minds, not for everyone, is their mind indigenous. And so... Mm-hmm. It, for me, if you have also an indigenous mind, you're seeing the world interconnected.
1: Mm-hmm. You're
0: experiencing a deeper wholeness and unity of life. And you understand that the hurt of one is the hurt of all, but the goodness of one is also the goodness for all. So you then see there's no planet B. We're all in this together. And um, that we've, instead of working with the, the greater goodness of that wholeness, um, you know, which is amazing if you if you really consider that we can tap into the intelligence and wisdoms of the trees, of the birds, of the insects, of the soil itself. So there's all of that intelligence and wisdom there, but we have reduced our humanity, this very small box. And because then we believe we are separate and and apart from it all, uh, and perhaps even superior to it all. Yes, and that is not an indigenous mind. So this is what I'm saying for me, I I have always experienced myself as indigenous to the earth, indigenous to this beautiful place uh, in our universe, in our galaxy felt a very, very deep connection with nature and, and with the planet. And in Europe, we've also been working then what are our own indigenous cosmologies as well. How can we bring that forth now when that ecological understanding is so important? Um, my grandfather was a farmer, and so he had his own you know, ways of working with the land and listening to the signs of nature. Uh, with my parents, we were often sailing And so then also you have to, of course, navigate with the tides, navigate with the the changes in the weather. You develop a great respect uh, for nature, especially for the ocean. And she can be unpredictable (laughs) and you don't impose, you know, you work with her and you listen. Yes.
1: Yes. So the indigenous piece and that the future potentials that live in all of us, knowing that and trusting that, listening, and then also listening to the guidance from all of life around us, considering that we are nature and we are all connected. And so taking our own future potentials and listening to nature around us, I've actually, there's certain messages or notion or knowings that I've received that I just don't even feel like are ready to be spoken because, well, how will this be received? And what to do with it, you know, like, and I'm talking beyond like free energy technology, I'm talking like, how do we harness the energy of copper or of oil without extracting resources from the earth? Like, how can we just do that in in a quantum capacity? And, you know, like those kinds of future potentials, where do you put them? Like, because you do speak a lot about systems and you are like super articulate around the potential and the guidelines. And here's a path So when you have these kind of possibilities, where do we place them on the realm of becoming a potential?
0: That's a very important question. Yes. Like you, there are possibilities that you know that you hold, but that you know the technology isn't even ready yet to explore that. So where I hold those is in my heart and making sure that I I am a possibility space for that by experiencing its reality already within and around me. So that is the first thing. But then also looking for how it can be made possible. For example, I am one of the stewards of um, a global project called SEEDS for New Economics and uh, Haifa. And when we were working with a seeds to create a new regenerative economic systems and a new governance systems based on living systems. We could sense that it was growing bigger, bigger and bigger and very, very complex, but we we could feel the technologies that were needed, but they were not yet there. Yeah? Now, in the last years, we've been developing that through DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations based on Holonic principles. And so that's a practical application of that. So what we've been envisioning and sensing and feeling and also knowing there was a need for it, but it wasn't yet there. We're just on that edge. So, but then think true to that. Mm-hmm. And then the, we were able to, our uh, teams, develop those technologies now And you can see that as we're taking that step, it accelerates so many other steps. So I think we are on the forefront of understanding how do we apply quantum information uh, and informational sciences now to the development also of our uh, technologies, whole new algorithms that are both for non-local and local reality, whole new ways of understanding also time and aging, informational medicine, of course, as well. So... The way I see it is that there is so much more possible than that we have uh, explored, because we've been building a lot of these technologies on the basis of a very old Newtonian mechanistic classical scientific worldview that no longer holds in light of what what we know today. And uh, I'm holding that always at multiple levels, at the levels of where can I see that even sharing some of that inspiration or asking some of these questions can perhaps inspire those who are at the forefront of making these new technologies and ways, also supporting those who are working on it and it's already becoming a reality and then there where it is really so far in the future that it seems almost utopian for people when they hear it. I put that in stories. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's a safe place there. <laughs> and at least some people are reading the stories and they can read it as if fiction. is kind of woven, non-fictional elements woven with fiction. So when they feel that, it gets a home inside their own hearts. And I feel that mm. that in itself is enough to catalyze it when that time is right for it.
1: Mm, beautiful. So then take us into a journey with the Future Humans trilogy. Is that what the trilogy is called? Yes,
0: yes, that's right. That's right. So there are, as a trilogy, three books, two of those we have uh, already published. This is with my dear friend and co author, uh, uh, Dr. G Houston. And uh, so the first book is The Crest of Rose, and the second book is Return of the Avatar. In the first book, the main person, uh, character Rose, she's a woman in her mid 20s, discovers nine cosmic keys that give nine very different perspectives of life, reality, and understanding of consciousness, and especially the cosmological architecture of the universe and how to architect our worlds and realities with that. So she gets these nine cosmic keys. And then in the second book, she receives seven cosmic architect tools. Uh, for being able to develop her future human powers through the wisdom of the high heart because what she's learning is if if those powers are awakening but the consciousness is not maturing uh, then the old archetype of domination and division will pop up and will kind of hijack those evolutionary potentials and resources and before we know it we're back in the same old patterns and what we're seeing in our world today uh, as well so she's kind of receiving the safety net as she deepens her journey and her potential and her becoming powers. They're no longer just potential. They're, they're activated yeah? and new capacities are, are being born. Her own energy is, is shifting. Her reality, her power to also manifest some of those potential. All of that is shifting. Um, but that's when she has to learn how to balance that, how to be with that, and then how to also work. She goes through the lessons and the alchemy of fire. And she learns then that Many of the problems that we see today in the world all have to do with us not having learned the lessons of fire. So if fire is not embodied in a system, it becomes destructive. So we're seeing that fire that is now in the lower atmospheres of, of our Earth that is triggering all this climate change in the global warming. Fire there, it's not meant to be there. <laughs> there, you know, too much heat is damaging with fire integrated into biological processes here further down in, and just like with CO2, yeah? So it's about, we've created, again, through these very mechanistic approaches of life and reality. So we've taken everything apart and put it in the wrong places. And so she's starting, as she goes through the journey with her friends, with few human friends. She goes through all these deep discoveries and le- getting to know about her shadow as well, as well as the shadow dynamics uh, in humanity and she is helped through that journey through her Icelandic uh, Sámi grandmother, Ferdandi, who is like a female Merlin. She, she sees very deeply uh, you know, into, into our human journey, into our human becoming, but also understands kind of the traps along the way, what we, what we slip into.
1: Wow, I'm feeling a transmission Over here, as you're speaking, because the realms you're taking me through, not just in this trilogy, in the stories, but the realms that led up to you telling me that, you know, how you hold the future potentials that are not yet like receivable by humanity in stories. And then you led into the story. If, you know, I'm just listening through the way you're speaking of this, I feel like I'm on a journey. And then I'm into the mythical realm with these books, these stories. And I really can feel like viscerally how potent the power of story is in ca- in like planting seeds in all of the future potentials right it's like yes. planting seeds yes. in everyone who sees or receives it and i feel like that is what just happened for anyone listening right here.
0: <laughs>
1: Good. Transmission number one.
0: <laughs> yes, that's right.
1: So, yeah. So what is your intention? I mean, really when you, because you have so many, like the breadth of your work is rather diverse. And on one hand, you're drafting constitution, like cosmic constitutions. And on the other hand, <laughs> you're writing mythical stories. What is your, like, what is your intention with the power of this transition? and and the books?
0: First of all, is that we understand and and trust that those potentials, as I said, that they really are already within us. So it's like the future is already putting its arms around us, helping us in this time of great challenge. Um, there are many, many practices in the books. So these are practices that I've myself worked with for years in order to be able to really work with those potentials and, you know, put them into application. And it's like rebuilding your body in some ways from the inside out, because it is a much higher level of coherence. And because it's, it's in many ways more complex, but not complicated, it mm-hmm. just means it's more multidimensional. It's more integral, these codes and uh, so the practices also will really help you to go through the transformation of that journey but also that people can feel that is really is i mean there's this incredible possibility that i feel that we're called into to radically redesign and re-architect and re-envision uh, how we human in this world and uh, many sometimes we see this in our futuristic movies that people can experience it there but we are closer to that reality that we that we realize and I think most fundamentally is to understand that the universe that we are alive in it's not a thing. Mm. Um, it's a being. It's a for me that uh, this this grand universe is the body of consciousness. And that consciousness is fundamental, primary. It's not something that just emerges when certain species reach a certain point of complexity, but we, we live in a universe of consciousness. And, and when you experience yourself as an expression of that incredible consciousness and how it brings itself forth, how it evolves, how it learns, how it grows with and through us, and that we are that too then suddenly your choice even your choice making the power of your choice that you realize every choice you make is a coordinate in that greater body of consciousness so every choice you make and again you can make those choices from your future potential as higher orders of complexity higher orders of coherence more refined deeper sense of unity you make your choice from that coordinate then what you help to bring into this world and manifest is amazing Mm. and and very very potent and, and and very powerful and so yeah that's really my on the most fundamental level for myself as an intention through all of my work in that sense is if I look at of the violence and the problems that are happening in our world today. I feel that is because there's at the species level there's a pattern of self-destruct that has activated because we have not become coherent at the next level of complexity. So, Mm. in every species, every species over time will grow more complex because it's more diversified as well. But if it doesn't become more coherent and if it doesn't integrate these new capacities that they are developing as communities of life. Then it will become destructive. we will start to fight against each other. It will start to compete over resources. Now, and as a, so, as a humanity, I feel we're stuck. We've, we've been really, really stuck and regressing in these old loops. Yeah. And what I see now is as we are becoming more and more, we are now at a billion. It's very vital that we take one well, our next step, our next evolutionary step, but become also coherent at that next step. Because if we don't more school shootings, more war. more. You can't just keep trying to address all of this as symptoms from the outside. Yeah? And then using again this war approach in order to address the symptoms that are coming from that self-destruct pattern. So for me, my deepest fundamental intention is to do whatever we can together to stop that pattern of self-destruction and to allow the maturation of human consciousness. So that an evolutionary, coherent field with life. Take its place and hold the space uh, so that we make it through. And
1: let's talk about the barriers, right? Because that's happening. Everything you said, right? We know this is happening. We're not slowing it down. We are, there's many people accelerating and, and holding space for the transition. Yes, what about the barriers? What are some of the? Let's just say, if I asked you like three key barriers, um,
0: what would you say? To me, all of those barriers they come from mechanistic systems mm-hmm. that are dualized by design. Yeah, and what you have, in mechanistic systems, they grow to extract. They grow to expand to extract. And they don't listen to systemic boundaries. So mechanistic systems, when they grow, if they hit a boundary or a threshold, whether it's a planetary boundary or a social boundary, where you know people just don't have the capacity to give more, instead of listening and being willing to shrink <laughs> and work with it, uh, mechanistic systems just barge over it and destroy it. So the first one is that the diversity becomes polarized. So instead of people becoming more collaborative, they're competing with each other, they're undermining each other. That's the first one. Mm. The second one is that you see that there is a zero competition, win-lose dynamics of, of competition. That's another aspect of that polarization of the diversity. The other one is that you see that people are stuck in distorted, I call the distorted informational loops. Um, so it's, it's like we think oh we're all okay we're fine we've got enough time to solve all this right yeah we'll be okay we'll figure it out when <laughs> oh, <laughs> it distort because we're not listening yeah? mm. and the other barrier is that we are not learning from pain mm. we're not learning from the feedback that pain is, is sending us so we create more and more and more and more pain and then we normalize the pain and say well that's part of life no pain no gain <laughs> <Yeah>. no <laughs> pain is a message from the system that's the system of saying uh-uh, you're going the wrong way uh yeah listen yeah not pain is a part of life that
1: <laughs> where did that come from um, exactly yeah yeah so really the point about diversity and instead of diverse systems and diverse beings working together and leveraging diversity, there's this competition and, and that even in the solution. So here's what I would love to talk about right now. We, we were talking about this before, that in the solution, so many people, we have lots of people waking up and really solving the problems and we have the SDGs and we have the maps, right? And then the yes. some of the unintended consequences of these solutions when they're fueled through this mechanistic system, when they're fueled through the distorted information loops, when they're fueled through this uh, win-lose game, it ends up being the same thing. It's just flipped on its head, right? So Exactly.
0: So yeah, yes. well, how do you see that showing up? It's like it, like a virus. It's, it's as if it's spread for all the different systems. And that's why I'm not surprised that we're not achieving the SDGs as we want them to. You know? yeah. um, because we are actually not diagnosing the presence of these systemic barriers in the very systems that we are delegating the power to, to solve it. So the, you know the very systems that we are making responsible for providing solutions, guidance, and leadership and policy are themselves, by design, the very systems that create these barriers. And mm-hmm. so, that, to me, there's such a systemic blind spot. The number one is, you know, it's not just about reporting on the SDGs and how we're doing in our sustainability targets, but. What are the presence of these systemic barriers that are acting out? It's like a collective shadow. I would call this is the collective shadow of systems. Um, There's a lot of work that people are talking about, but become aware of your own personal shadow dynamics and personal work. But this is the the shadow work of institutions, Mm -hmm. uh, of, of systems change. And uh, there's not enough of that uh, that is being done. And yeah, that's how I'm seeing that, that working, working out. And we need to get honest about this. Um, yeah. We need to get honest about this, yeah. What are the
1: barriers to discussing the barriers and the shadows within systems
0: change? Well, is the it- first one, that's a classic. Uh, they yeah. will say, Well, we don't have much time for that. (laughs) Let's start working first. Let's start working on the solution straight away. Yeah, Mm -hmm. But but not realizing that the very way in which we are approaching the problem is is a barrier. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second one is that many of the people who are working in these institutions, they are so identified with the archetypes of those institutions Mm. that they don't have the inner space to take a distance and say, well, hold on, from what consciousness am I truly approaching this? Is yeah. uh, uh, is that going to work, or do we need to work first on our inner transformation? And so, also for these systems, what's what's the inner transformation of mm-hmm. many of these institutions and systems? But also, let's get honest. In for all of us, we're working in a climate movement. You know, mm-hmm. are we truly deeply collaborating? I have found that there is also in there. Uh, quite a lot of shadow dynamics and competition dynamics and people, I don't want it to be the first one to come with a solution, but are we willing to say, I've been developing something up to this point and I can't do it any further. Uh, and maybe I'm not meant to. And what have you been developing and how can we bring this together? I'm really asking fundamentally that question, what can we do together that we cannot do alone? And I'm being willing to also release some of our own ideas or own programs to allow it to come together in a whole new way. And this is where I see uh, also some of those barriers that are playing out. And yes, where we need to kind of guide that that way and have courageous conversations around this too. Mm,
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. I love how you articulated and you mentioned like the the institutional archetypes. So that might lead us into your work around the five future archetypes.
0: Yes. (laughs) You want me to share a little bit about that? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, When I was doing my PhD research on systems change, um, and there was a lot of talk at that time about, are we in an era of change or a change of errors? And I said, okay, if we are in a change of eras and not just in an era where everything is changing, then these this new era should have new archetypes. If this is if the era is a new cycle of time, it's a new paradigm, it's also a new cycle of consciousness, then what are its archetypes? So what I then did is look in the younger generations. Uh, how are they responding differently to the challenges? So when the younger generations are faced with breakdown, uh, are faced with with bad news, are faced with all oh, that's not working, do we see different response patterns? Uh, and if there are the imaginal cells, if they're acting really as these imaginal cells of this new era, how does an imaginal cell respond to a challenge differently from, for example, caterpillar consciousness. So what's the difference between an emerging butterfly consciousness when faced with its limits to growth Mm. compared to a caterpillar approach, uh, which has been eating, eating, eating more, consuming more, (laughs) hitting the the limits of growth. Uh, And this is when I then noticed that there were really, really vitally different responses I saw the younger generations were getting very creative with some of the challenges rather than feeling like they were a victim uh, and asking all the generations to change it for them. I saw that many were saying, well, we're going to change the game. Mm-hmm. We're going to change the code. You know, if you're not doing that, we will do it. Yeah. Um, so it's getting really proactive. But also what I noticed that many of these younger generations understood very, very deeply that it is a structural change that you can't solve this on the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I was tuning in it up more and kind of integrating uh, all of these reflections and also working with what are the five steps of a metamorphic transformation? What are the five stages of a metamorphic transformation? And what are the five states of consciousness? That's when that kind of system started to, I would almost say reveal itself, yeah, because it's, I feel like it's already there. It's just that I was naming it to help make it visible more for us to work with. And then, so the first one in the center, if you mentioned a wheel, then the first archetype is the wholeness coder. Yeah. So we start that journey for actualizing our future potential, starting from the code of wholeness, the code of unity, rather than starting a process through a code of duality. Most of the old paradigm systems they were conceived from the vanity. They were activated through the vanity. So they, the way that they grow and expand was causing division and separation, not diversity that's coherent. So the first one is the wholeness coder. That, and, and so these are all the people who are like the, the people who change, shift the game, the people who are making new codes and algorithms, the people who are the architects and designers of new systems. So these are kind of in the category the wholeness coders. We're really working with the wisdom of living systems and applying that then at that architectural level. And then the next one, the next archetype. Wait, so the wholeness coders,
1: they are the dot connectors, like the
0: grand scale dot connectors. Not yet, that that are the pattern weavers. Oh, okay. (laughs) Even more deeply (laughs) fundamental. So you could imagine that if you were to see it in these five stages of the metamorphic transformation, yeah. then the wholeness coder is the imaginal disc in the caterpillar. Okay. Mm. So mm-hmm. it's really the, it's like the fundamental code. It's like you're coming from this new, the beginning of this new cycle of consciousness and creation. So it's like the first code, the seed of that. Mm. And wholeness coders are people who are naturally thinking in terms of algorithms, codes, parameters. Um, an example of my um, my 11-year-old son at that time, um, I would give him, and uh, he was playing with a game. The games he liked very much is when he could change the rules of the game. Mm. Um, so it was he wouldn't want to play with a game that was just made for him. He was always looking for games when he... He can make it can change the parameter settings, he can change how his avatars look in the game, he can make his own game pass and invite his little friends, and then he could create his own rules around that, <laughs> how they work in that game world. So that's a wholeness coder approach to working with reality, is yeah. is really looking at how are new choices? So they're always looking for choice points. Saying, When well, you're saying it can't be done, well, let's explore if we can do it by making a new choice. So wholeness coders increase choice points in systems. Mm. They increase more choice points for activating that code of, of unity, of being able to bring that future consciousness in. Mm. And then the next one, the future creatives then, is when the imaginal disk in a, in a caterpillar body is becoming an imaginal cell. And so there's a point of activation when the caterpillar is really reaching its limits to growth. It's starting to cocoon. The discs now are activating more and more and they're becoming imaginal cells. And they will start to now coordinate what's happening with the breakdown. Mm. And so the future creators, what they do is they create possibility spaces for possibility spaces. They're the innovators. They are the, the futurists. They are also the ones researching and exploring the new pathways. That right at home in the imaginal world. Yeah? So when you have that new choice point there, and that new choice point creates a possibility in a pathway that enters into us as new visions, new ideas, inspiration. Yeah? Hmm. So what future creatives do is they, they ride that wave, So rather than thinking, oh, well, it was a nice dream, they will go, I can sense it. I can feel it. They're enacting it. They're imaginally engaging that new possibility now. So it becomes stronger. It becomes a field dynamic. And if people aren't ready to receive it, they're writing stories about it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So they they are, it's like they're already starting to live Mm. from that new reality. Mm. And in the next one, then, now the caterpillar is really cocooned uh, inside, so it's no longer moving, it's no longer looking for sleeps. its In its cocoon, it's breaking down, its body is turning into a nutrient soup, and the imaginal cells are now becoming imaginal organs. They are starting to link up and to connect up. And this is when we enter the evolutionary catalyst. So evolutionary catalysts are people who are the, like the healers, they're the facilitators, they're the educators. They know how to work with breakdown, with death, with transformation, so they can hospice what's dying. And at the same time, they're holding space for birth, for midwives, for the emergence, mm-hmm. for the new. So they're, they're really at home in that, in that transition between the old and the new. And they help transition resources, consciousness, systems from old to new states. They develop these evolutionary capacities that come out of those future potentials. You see, then we are really in the, in the deep work of our transformational process. This is is the first time
1: I'm hearing you explain these, and I've actually been calling myself an evolutionary catalyst for like
0: a decade, so I love this. (laughs) There you go. Okay. Great. And then comes the next one, is the the pattern weaver. So this is at a point in the metamorphic transformation where the butterfly body has now formed, so, where before there were marginal organs, now it's a, the whole body of the butterfly is formed. It's still in the cocoon, but it is formed. Yeah? And it's it's the cocoon is ready to open. So, the, the pattern weavers, what they do is they, they weave now these new realities with the evolutionary patterns that have maybe been made possible by the wholeness coder, the future creatives, the evolutionary catalyst. So, those new patternings now. With that, they're building communities, they're creating the root systems of our planetary civilizations, mm. they're weaving these new connections, and they are really making sure that the, the garden is fertile to plant those seeds. So pattern weaves are, are, are really important in that way because they they help now for that you know emergence out of out of this cocooning, out of all this inner work, also that we've been doing better by ourselves or as a community. They now really help for that critical stage. It can now become a reality. We can start to work with that. And it starts to connect up and link up even much more effectively. Mm. And the butterfly is born. (laughs) And this is where we now entering into new paradigm storytellers. So these are the people now and ourselves as well. We become the new story. And so now we are really are in the world from that butterfly consciousness. We are fully embodying uh, and actualizing within ourselves and in our lives and in our world around us this future potential that we've helped to to birth and bring into the world. And we come from a consciousness of abundance and fertility. So wherever we go, wherever we touch, where so it's like words come power with words we create. So the as the new paradigm storyteller, as the, the stories of the new narratives, and the, the unitive narratives of our future human becoming, as that lands, as it touches the hearts, it fertilizes more, it activates more of these beautiful seeds uh, in other people in our world around us. So that's, yeah, that's that beautiful journey in five steps, states, and stages through the five future archetypes. Anelous, that's really, really beautiful. Thank you
1: for sharing in such detail and for being the storyteller. For being all of these, right? Where do you feel like you sit? I so far in this conversation, to me, you sit in in each one of these five archetypes. <laughs> well, that,
0: that's, it, yeah, it's a it's a great question. So for me, I in order to be able to do the work I'm doing, I need to be able to shift. Between each of those fives, indeed. There are, I have a natural inclination as a wholeness coder and a future creative. That's kind of my natural predisposition. You could say, well, my own constitution is there. But I've noticed if I don't, um, but also all these other ones are there. So it's about for me, it's about really going from the full cycle, from potential to possibility to emergence, realization, actualization, really the and I think that if we want to develop our whole yeah. human self a full full potential, right? We need to develop the capacities for all five, not about just being one, but mm-hmm. knowing also when we're working in systems change and we're working on building these new new ways. Where can you be of service through through what archetypes? So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, in these new economic systems, I was working and creating new constitution. Um, so then I was doing the work of a wholeness coder and a, f- a future creative as well. But mm-hmm. when I'm doing in the, the writing of my books, then I'm working really also as this um, new paradigm storyteller. I'm working with coaching with my clients, then I'll be there really in, as an evolutionary catalyst. And you can call upon those archetypes. You can really, depending on the role of what you're asked to serve, call them in, bring them in and say that if you are co- as a coach, you're working, you're holding space and you feel this person is going through a major transformation, ask the evolutionary catalyst archetype to support you and your field and your client. So that's, you have more access to the capacities and this the consciousness, you know that uh, yeah, that is mm-hmm. part of that.
1: Yeah, that makes so much sense. It's so interesting how the reductionist mind says which one, which of the which of the archetypes is me, right? They're, most yeah. archetypes are <laughs> yeah. like one of those archetypes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Beautiful. Yes yeah so this and and this is the actualization process. you you call it the
0: actualization. Yes, that is the actualization process. exactly. exactly. And when you learn to fluidly shift between code consciousness, the first archetype, imaginal consciousness, second one, evolutionary consciousness, when you're in that third stage, mm-hmm. integral consciousness when you're really working as as a pattern weaver, mm-hmm. or that that real trifability consciousness you're in the fertility you're in the abundance so it's and you train that it's like you can just go and enter into that um, so fluidly and shift between these different states Mm. uh, in response to what is asked for you know what's happening in environment it's happening in the world and these different capacities and states they just come up and that's what's so beautiful it's Mm. always responsive and I. I miss that element in a lot of the kind of spiritual teachings that were out there that have very much focused sometimes on well, great peace inside, <laughs> but not necessarily that your state of consciousness shifts in response to what is required. And that to me is much more of holding this active compassion for the world and for the evolution of human consciousness there's a lot of people who i experience as
1: the the emotion and the consciousness of despair for what is unfolding and yeah. despair when, when there's despair it's okay solve despair with like coming at it almost like an attack right an attack with a solution do you experience this as well
0: yeah i don't experience much despair myself but i experience the energy of despair in the world absolutely yes but not not so much in Yeah.
1: Right. I meant that like in the, so in the world, the the frequency of despair. Yes. um, Yes. Very much so. (laughs) There's like, yes. you have to transmute the frequency of despair to even embody any of these archetypes. Is this a sort of, would you say that this is a, like a
0: methodology to help transmute? Yes, frequency? It, it is. Because um, if you take again, that comparison with, the, I mean, we are not caterpillars and butterflies, but it's, there's so many helpful, you know, yeah. analogies yeah. in that. So, What's interesting is that when the caterpillar is really decaying, there's a lot of viruses that are starting to activate. Those viruses do not harm the butterfly. Actually, the butterfly knows how to work with the viruses to speed up the mutations. So what I've noticed when you work with the future archetypes is that the energy of despair is just that. It's food. It's food for that. alchemy. Mm. So you can work with despair without becoming despaired. Mm. Beautiful. You
1: articulate so many of my thoughts so articulately. It's beautiful. I love it. So we, what are you just in the, uh, as we're wrapping up your, I could just sit here with you all day because this portal is infinite. What are you excited about now in mean, taking all of the work and that's still molding and you're still creating? What are you excited about most like, let's say, the closest actualization of a future potential.
0: The joy, the joy that I experience in people when they start to activating them—it's so beautiful. I find it so beautiful because it's like when that activation point happens, the process becomes self-guiding, and I've seen this now with so many people, yeah. and I just love that. That it's to me, yeah. Then I know it's this is unstoppable, despite. All the other things that are happening as well there is a world that's dying and we need to really work with that and be realistic about that too and and support and give us much compassion and and do the transition work but also that life is so creative that's what i was like this morning i was feeling that's like wow yeah. <laughs> if the universe you know if it can do create all of this surely <laughs> yeah. it has that intelligence and depth, and we are that universe to also, in ways we can't even you know, conceive perhaps of, yeah, but perhaps we can imagine it, <laughs> but comprehend, that's it. Yeah. There's so much more possible. There's so much more possible. And yes, that is what gives me joy is to see that joy awakening in others and, and to see especially younger people feeling like, oh, so I can still have hope, even though it's really, really hard. Yeah. I can have hope. So it's the antidote of despair, actually. It's mm. the antidote of that. Yeah, it's the medicine. It's the medicine that heals despair from its very, very roots and then helps us to start working with the, the, the things that are ours to do, yeah. to do them with care and trust in that and build that and link that up and reach out to other people and let that grow, mm. really grow this new pattern of who we can become. Beautiful, beautiful.
1: I woke up this morning and it's fall. It's fall, autumn peaking here, and it's just—I have a lot of old trees that I communicate with on my property uh, where I steward, and it's amazing. Like in one week, what it is happening, and every second in this in the autumn process, every second is different. It's this massive transformation that is just. Modeling possibility, and so many don't see that for the like the universe in itself that it is. So, yes. yeah, yeah, thank you, and Louise. So, is there anywhere um, we're going to share all of your contact and ways that people can follow up on all of the things that you shared today in the show notes? Is there anything else that you'd just love to drop in or? That you're feeling right now just want
0: to really thank thank you for who you are everything you're doing for this incredible conversation for reaching out and uh, yeah bringing us to that uh, the point of no return maybe not returning back to the old ways <laughs> yes thank you thank you thank you, thank you. Thanks
1: for joining us on this episode of Catalyst Talks. Stay tuned for what's up next and please subscribe to our podcast and rate us wherever you listen. You'll find these all at CatalystTalks.com. Join the conversation on social media. And if you'd like to reach out, please send me, Stephanie, a private message through StephanieTrager.com. Your attention means the world to me. Thank you. Thank you.